Have you ever had a really strong gut feeling about something? You don't know why, you don't know where it's coming from, but it's telling you something very clearly. Should you trust it? We're seeing what the science says about trusting your gut. It's Sister Dr Squared and we're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. Janine, I have a gut feeling that this episode is going to be freaking great. (laughs) I agree with you, Alina. How are you? You've got that feeling too. Love it. How is your gut feeling today? Yeah, it's good. I'm just tired because my cat sort of woke me up at around 4.30 by kind of kissing me on the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I was lying on my back. And she does this thing where she comes up and lies on my chest. Uh She got really close and when she sort of settled, her mouth went onto (laughs) my mouth and it was really weird. (laughs) Cats can be just simultaneously cute and super annoying. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's funny. I was also woken up around 3.30 by my child, so I'm relating to the tiredness very much. Oh, see, yep. Not my dog. My dog sleeps really well, actually, which is great. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That is great. So, look, we would like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Jagera people as the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this episode. We are coming to you from Mianjin country. We pay our respects to elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Firstly, thank you so much to everyone for all the love for our last episode all around Tourette syndrome. Yes. Thanks again to Seamus. What a champ for coming on board to help us raise awareness of this condition. This is already our most listened to episode ever and it's only been out for just over a month. So we are very excited and we just loved hearing from so many people with Tourette's who listened in and getting some feedback from them. Thank you so much. We also got some really great feedback from people who listened in who don't have Tourette's and said they didn't know much about it and it really helped them understand the condition and really opened their eyes to the experience of those with Tourette's, which was exactly what we were trying to achieve. So we are just thrilled about that. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. And thank you again to Seamus. So much fun having him on. It was. And I did want to give a shout out to Ben from Brisbane who got in touch. Now, Ben has Tourette's and he got in touch to pass on an interesting paper about a bit more of the genetics. Now, we did get into the genetics a bit in the episode. Ben passed on this paper around what's called de novo mutations. Now, these are genetic mutations that occur in an individual during their lifetime. So they are not inherited mutations. They're not coming from the parents, but they're still involving a change in the DNA sequence. And this paper suggested that up to 12% of cases of Tourette's could be due to these spontaneous mutations. So I was thinking a lot about this and that could explain those cases where the syndrome tends to pop up in a family in maybe just one individual and no one right. else. yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, as we discussed in the episode, there are likely to be multiple interacting causes of Tourette's and research is, of course, ongoing. Mm. Curious stuff. Thanks for getting in touch, Ben. Now... In 2021, in our Muck Update episode, we mentioned gut feelings and that we wanted to see if there was any scientific research on this. We knew that there was a little bit, but we wanted to sort of dig a little deeper. So we've gone and done that and we've got two really cool studies to tell you about. So Janine, do you want to kick off with yours? Yes, sure. So the paper that I read is by Mickles and colleagues. It's a little bit older now. It was published in 2011 and it's called Should I Go With My Gut? Investigating the Benefits of Emotion-Focused Decision-Making. 
published in the journal Emotion, the paper opens by reminding us that we are all faced with the need to make big decisions in life. So this can include anything from purchasing, maybe big deal items like buying a car, buying a house, but also bigger life decisions like accepting or rejecting a job offer, accepting or rejecting a marriage proposal, and of course, deciding on appropriate medical treatments. Traditionally, a more deliberate, careful decision-making approach has been considered to be superior and most effective. So this is where you think about your options very carefully and analytically. You take your time, maybe you get some advice. You might even do something like make a pros and cons list. And this is certainly my go-to strategy, as you know (laughs) very well. I do pros and cons lists all the time. I recommend them to people I work with. I recommend them to friends and family. I love it. Yeah. You could do a pros and cons list about doing a pros and cons list. (laughs) I could. In fact, I already have done that. (laughs) Yeah. So, but this sort of strategy is in contrast to a more emotion-based instinctive decision-making strategy where you might make a much quicker decision or judgment based on gut feelings, gut instincts, intuition, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It might even feel quite automatic and somewhat unconscious. And this is when someone might say, go with your gut. Yes. So as I mentioned, that slower, more analytical process has always been my go-to strategy. And I can absolutely identify times when this might have led me to do something that was in contrast to what my gut was telling me. So I'm personally very interested in this topic and I have really learned a lot and loved doing this episode. Yeah, it's been good. Especially as I started to learn that some of the more recent studies have suggested that both forms of decision-making might be equally valid and sometimes in certain situations relying on gut instincts may be better than the alternative. Yeah. So in this particular study, the authors did four different experiments and they wanted to test whether analytical or emotion-focused thinking led to better decisions. So I'm going to go through those studies one by one. So experiment one involved 76 university students. They were shown information about four different cars. They were shown this on a TV screen and were given information like, this car has good petrol or gas mileage versus another car that may have poor mileage. So for each car, they were given information about four different attributes. So they would have gotten that mileage sort of information for all four cars. So when you looked at all of the information, the researchers designed it in a way where one of the cars was clearly the best objectively. 75% of the information presented about that car was positive. Now, before seeing any of the information about these cars, the participants were randomly assigned into one of two groups. One group was instructed to focus on and therefore base their decision on their feelings, while the other group was told to focus on the details provided. So we have two groups here, a feelings group and a details group. They also randomly assigned all participants to either a simple or a complex condition. The simple condition was what I've already explained, where they're given four bits of information about four different cars. The complex group, on the other hand, they were given 12 bits of information about the four different cars. So definitely a more complex situation as more information is needing to be considered. So hopefully it's clear that we, in effect, have four groups here. We have a group that has been told to focus on their feelings and they're given simple information. We have a group also given simple information, told to focus on the details. We have a group given complex information, told to focus on their feelings, and a group given complex information and told to focus on the details. Yes, very clear. So it's a pretty cool experimental design, I think. At the end, all participants were asked to choose which car they thought was the best car. Which car would you buy? 
they also asked participants to recall what information they could about each car. And this was, a, in effect, a test of their memory storage. And they asked participants which bits of information they thought were most important for making the decision. So, for example, how important is gas or petrol mileage to you? And they were asked to rate this on a scale of one to seven. So let's look at how each of these four groups performed. So for the simple condition, they found no difference between the feelings or detail-focused groups. So they were both equally likely to choose the best car. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the complex condition, there was a significant difference between the two groups. Those that had focused on their feelings were much more likely to choose the best car. How interesting is that? I know, I wasn't expecting that. So No, I would not have expected that at all. So those that focused on their feelings, 68% of them chose the right car, but for the details group, only 26% chose the right car. That is a big difference, and it was statistically significant. I was really surprised by that. I know. Yeah. So remember they asked participants to recall what they could about those cars? Yes. They, when they looked at this, there wasn't a difference in the recall ability between participants in the feelings or details group. So the way they had been thinking didn't lead to a difference in the storage of the memory, if that makes sense. This suggests... Yeah, so it wasn't just that they forgot certain facts about the car. No, it wasn't like when you focus on your feelings, you somehow just form better memory of the situation. That wasn't what was going on. So it suggests that the decision-making involved their working memory, their memory being used sort of on the go, rather than it being stored differently in their long-term memory. So that's experiment one. Super interesting. So I'm going to move into experiment two. Now, this had a very similar setup. This time they're looking at a different group of 40 university students. Again, participants were randomly assigned to one of two groups. There's a feelings group and a details group again. But here they were only making complex decisions, so everyone is being given 12 bits of information about the four cars. But here, the researchers set it up so that there wasn't one best car. All four cars were equally good choices. Oh, okay. They all had 50% positive attributes across those 12 bits of info. Okay. Cool design, right? So it's just an average car. (laughs) They're all average. But remember, they're getting lots of information, so let's see how this pans out. Again, they got them to choose a car, but this time they asked them to rate how satisfied they were with their choice on a scale of one to seven. And they also asked them how confident they were that they had made the right choice. Okay. That's very interesting. So, now, and remember, there is no best car here. Mm. Those in the feelings focus group were more satisfied than those in the details group. And they were also more confident. Oh, okay. So even though none of the cars were best, they still felt better about their decision if they'd been advised to focus on their gut feeling. Yep, okay. They checked the memory recall again and there was no difference between the groups, so it wasn't a difference in the way the memory had been stored between the groups. So really interesting. Okay, now I'll move into experiment three. So here they used a different group of uni students, this time 76 students, Here, we're looking at complex decisions only, so 12 bits of info for each car. But now, one car clearly is the best. Again, there's a feelings-focused group and a details-focused group, but this time they introduced some other factors. They introduced two conditions, and they randomly assigned students to one of these conditions. One was called the deliberation condition, and one was called the distraction condition. Those in the deliberation condition were asked to think about their choice for three minutes. And those that were in the distracted condition made their choice and then were asked to complete an unrelated memory task that also went for three minutes. So they're just being distracted from thinking about it, essentially. Yep. And then they're asked 
make your decision. Okay, so those students that were in the detail focus group, the choice of car was unaffected whether they were in the deliberation group or the distracted group. It didn't change their choice. But those in the feelings focus group, this is so interesting, those that were asked to deliberate, so those that have been asked, focus on your feelings while getting this information and then think about it really carefully for three minutes and then see which car you would choose, they performed significantly worse than those who'd been distracted, than those that had just not been asked to focus on it. So what this tells us is that when focusing on gut feelings, overthinking it is a bad thing in this experiment. There was a fourth experiment that some might be keen to go and look into. I'm not going to go into that now, but it also provided evidence for gut feelings being superior in this particular situation and context. Right. So this study supports the conclusion that you can trust your gut when making decisions, or at least when it comes to buying a car or theoretically buying a pretend car. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just call it. Well, yeah. I mean, that's. I guess that's the limitation with this is that mm. it's a theoretical situation. They're not actually buying a car. No, that's right. And also right. they're asking them about how they feel about that decision in that moment. That's and not right. 12 months down the track when that car turns out to be a dud. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, I, I know. I was imagining, okay, go two years later. Hey, remember when you did that experiment when you were a uni student and you chose that fake car? How are you feeling about oh, the decision yes. now? <laughs> Was yes, right no, decision? I wish I had have gone for the black Hyundai <laughs> with the spoiler instead of the red. No, but it is interesting because I interesting. think it's showing some really interesting findings and suggesting that to then go and ruminate over it yes. may not be the best idea. That's right, which is exactly what I do. <laughs> well, which makes sense because of the essence of a gut feeling <laughs> is it's coming from you know, deep within. It mm. is not the rational part of your brain. No. So if you, you then want to get that rational part of your brain and start picking apart your gut feeling. Yes. It's interesting. So interesting. Um, yeah, well, the authors argue that when the decision is complex and there are lots of things to consider, going with your gut might be best and that you will potentially feel subjectively better if you go with your gut with this sort of complex decision, even if your choice isn't better. <laughs> Well, exactly. And that's um, nice too, right? That's good. Sometimes even if you just feel satisfied <laughs> and feel confident with, with your decision, decision that's <laughs> half the battle in life, isn't that's it? That's exactly right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the authors also argue that you need to pay attention to the gut feelings quickly and not overthink them because, you know, yeah. as we've said, this is somewhat unconscious and tapping into that more considered and conscious thought may muddy things. But the authors yep. do certainly point out that there will be definitely times when focusing on the gut alone may of course, lead to the wrong decision. And if we go back to the data, it wasn't that every single participant in that group made the right decision. It's just that more of them did than when we compared to those in the details group. And of course, some in the... they were more likely to make the right decision. Yes. And some in the details group also made the right decision. It was just that overall, less of them did. So overall, this study suggests that basing decisions on gut feelings can be an effective strategy. And this certainly goes against the traditional notion that emotions impair decision-making. And this study suggests it may be the other way around, that overthinking may impair decision-making when you are focused on gut feelings. Mm. And they end with this quote, when the going gets tough, go with your gut, but with the qualification that one should not overthink their decision. Mm, Very nice. Especially if they're buying a fake car. Yes. (laughs) Theoretically buying a car. (laughs) 
All right. So wow. that's the yeah, that's the end of my paper. That's I, quite a cool study. I know. I really liked the way they set that up because initially, when looking into this, I was thinking, how do I was just trying to imagine how would I do a study to look at gut instinct versus deliberative decision making, and I it was hard for me to think of a good design for this. So it was cool to see the different ways different papers had done this, and I really yeah, liked it. Yeah, it is this very one. cool. And each one sort of complements the next just to get to the bottom of what's going on. Yeah. And I quite like that it's a true experiment where you've randomly assigned participants to different groups. I think what would be really interesting though is to repeat this kind of experiment and have some sort of scenario where they're actually making a decision that will indeed affect them. I don't know whether it's like they need to choose some sort of item of clothing or pair of shoes that they're going to get, something like that where Mm -hmm. it actually does have, you know, a real tangible consequence for them. That might be cool. Yeah, and also I think to follow up over time because you might be having the decision that day but, you know, two years, ten years down the track, depending on what the decision is, maybe no. Especially with a car, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's not going to reveal its true performance for a little while. Exactly. So, Alina, tell us what you have been learning about. Yes, well, since I'm an epidemiologist, my passion is public health. Mm -hmm. So I went down the rabbit hole of gut feelings in healthcare. Oh, cool. Do, say, doctors, nurses, midwives, other healthcare workers, do they get a gut feeling when their patient's health is in danger? Oh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I've always thought it was very fascinating stuff. It's very hard to study. Mm. It's not easy to observe and measure gut feelings. And obviously in this kind of context, in healthcare, you can't do a proper experiment mm. to work out a patient's fate depending on the gut feeling of their clinician. So Yeah, there might be some ethical issues with that sort of a study. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're moving away from lab-based stuff here. So gut feelings in healthcare are sometimes also called clinical instinct, clinical intuition or suspicion. And the essence of a gut feeling in this context is that it's there even though a clear medical indication for that thing might be lacking. So, for example, it's the feeling of something being wrong without the clinician necessarily knowing for sure exactly why they think something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And these gut feelings, intuitions, instincts are acknowledged to be a part of clinical decision-making, which is medical speak for working out how to care for you. But, of course, some think that gut feelings have no place in healthcare because they are inherently subjective and Mm. prone to bias Mm -hmm. and we go to great lengths to try to remove these from science and medicine, right, Janine? Yeah, of course. Terrible things. (laughs) Or are they? Well, this is the thing. So I looked at a study by Claire Friedemann-Smith and colleagues published in 2020 in the British Journal of General Practice, The study related to GPs, so this is general practitioners, which are also sometimes called family doctors. So this might be the first person you go to when you're not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And the authors looked at whether and how GPs use their gut feelings in the process of diagnosing cancer and how useful gut feelings are in diagnosing cancer. So this study is another systematic review 
and I'm not doing this on purpose. I think (laughs) I've done systematic reviews for the last two or three episodes. (laughs) Not on purpose, but I just thought this was a really useful one. So this review summarised the results from 12 individual studies that described cancer suspicion among GPs following, quote, an uneasy feeling that was not necessarily based on clinical evidence. Mm -hmm. The studies were all done in Europe or the UK, There were different types of studies in this review. Some of the studies involved doing interviews with GPs, talking about their experience with gut feelings. Other studies followed patients and GPs over time. So the methods overall really varied. So I'm just going to focus on what they found. So in pulling the results from all the studies together, overall, GPs' gut feelings about their patients seem to be formed from a combination of verbal and nonverbal cues alongside the GP's own knowledge and experience. Mm. The most common verbal cues that may have contributed to a gut feeling about cancer were report of symptoms, of course. Yep. Say weight loss and the reporting of multiple symptoms. What is super interesting is the non-verbal cues that GPs might tune into because often with GPs, They see patients over many years and so will have developed a relationship with them. And this is what enables them to notice these more subtle indications. Maybe it's tone of voice or the way you move has changed. So this just gives a sense that something isn't right. And there's so much evidence about the benefits of what we call continuity of care. Mm. And picking up on important non-verbal cues is just one part of that, I think. Yeah, because if you were to just see a brand new doctor when something has changed, they're not necessarily going to pick up on these sorts of things, are they? Because they haven't got got that relationship. Yeah, That's right. I love my GP. She's also your GP. Yes, she's awesome. This probably won't surprise listeners that we have the same GP, just like we have the same accountant. Yeah, I'm really worried that she's going to retire soon. No. I know. I know. I'm I'm really stressing about this. Yeah. (laughs) Because then I'll need to find another one. She's really great. Anyway. Yeah. That's a tangent. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's great. I'm very comforted by the fact that my GP, she really knows me. She gets me. She knows what I'm about. She knows what I'm like. Do you think so? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So back to the review. So how useful are gut feelings when it comes to GPs diagnosing cancer? Well, this review found that when gut feelings were reported, the odds of a patient being diagnosed with cancer were four times higher than when no gut feelings were reported. It is interesting. So, like I said, this is not an actual experiment. This is an observational Mm. report, Mm -hmm. but still really interesting. And I think we can see that these gut feelings among GPs they're not coming from nowhere. They're mm. not entirely mysterious, unexplained predictions, right? It's not clairvoyance. No, and I think that's really good for people to understand, isn't it? I think so. And it's an accumulation of experience. Mm. And there's a really nice quote from one of the studies in this review. I assume it was a GP who said this. They said, I think intuition isn't quite the pseudo thing that people think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a combination of having seen lots and lots and lots of cases and you've seen lots of scenarios scenarios and it's all accumulated in our subconscious mind as well as your conscious mind Mm. and you're actively drawing on this. Yeah, that's a really good summary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
And one of the studies in the review reported that GPs with more experience were more frequently right about their gut feelings than were GPs with less experience. Oh, there you go. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. Another study in the review reported that GPs who considered themselves to be highly empathetic were Mm -hmm. more likely to use their gut feelings. Mm Mm-hmm which I thought was really interesting as well. Yeah. Um, Still, some GPs, according to this study, are cautious about relying too much on gut feelings. They worry about, for example, missing other important cues and potentially getting it wrong, Mm -hmm. which obviously can also cause harm. Fair, right? Yeah. So I suspect that knowing when to listen to that inner voice for these GPs is also part of their clinical experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you really have to trust your gut Mm. on when to trust your gut. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And here's another really good quote on that point. Again, I think it was a GP who said this. They said, I think you should have both analytical and intuitive reasoning, both working together. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should dismiss the intuitive. I think the intuitive is always going to be an important part of general practice, which Mm -hmm. is actually an art. Intuitively, you are analysing. It's just in a different type of way. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So the review overall suggests that GPs generally feel that there definitely is a place for gut instincts in cancer diagnosis. Whether and how GPs are encouraged to use their gut instinct seems to vary. According to this review, some clinical guidelines for GPs around cancer diagnosis mention and support using gut feelings, but how to actually do this is not always made clear. Yeah. And so the authors of this review think that there's a lot more work to be done to understand the value of gut feelings and how to better integrate gut feelings into clinical practice and patient care. Oh, that sounds good. Exactly. So, yeah, certainly even in medicine, gut feelings are not just dismissed as Mm. unreliable, Mm. wishy-washy, you know, inferior to more analytic decision-making. And like I Mm. said in the Muck Update episode, it's a myth that gut feelings are nothing more than dumb emotional responses. Yeah, that's exactly right. can be a part of good decision-making. Yeah, I think the main thing I've learned in the paper I've read and then now in listening to what you have summarised is that we shouldn't ignore the gut feelings. They're there for a reason and it sounds like they're probably coming from years of life experience even if they feel like intuition or they're largely unconscious. Yeah, I think that's the message. We're not saying your gut feeling is always going to be right. No. We're just saying it's worth listening to. That's right. It's not invalid. Yeah, it should not be dismissed. Yeah. And I think I was thinking about this, Janine, this morning that this is hard for people like you and me as scientists. We yes, have been it's trained so hard. Yes. to use very yes. linear, logical, deliberate decision-making yes. to reach rational conclusions. That's right. I think some people listening to this episode might come from backgrounds where they go with their gut all the time. Yeah, they're like, why are you even looking into this? Of course the gut instincts are important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know who they might be. That's the mm. point. But I'm thinking maybe more creatives business moguls, CEOs. Yeah, good um, point. Entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> entrepreneurs. You know? You know, I did, I did I see some papers. I think they probably do this all day long. Well, I did see some papers. I didn't read them, but I did see some papers when researching this in business journals. There was research into should you go with your gut when making business decisions. Yeah, see? Yeah. They probably just do it all day I long. I know. And plenty of other people too. I don't want to leave people out. I don't know because I don't mix in these circles. <laughs> Not to 
deliberately. I'm just like, this is this is so far from, you know, our, you know, nerd pack, our I know. following of squares. I know. So I'm not sure how much those people might get out of this episode. I, but well, look, I just was picturing myself in my study going, okay, if they're going to give me information about a car, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to write down all that information and I'm going to sit there and do pros and cons lists. That's what I would do. Oh, yeah, you, you totally would. I would if they didn't focus point. on your feelings, I'd be like, that's just dumb. <laughs> Well, yeah, because that's kind of how we've been trained to think. Yes. And I, so as a consequence, this is just what you and I are accustomed to. Mm. And so listening to our gut, even mm. when it comes to things in our personal lives, we're, we're just not so great I, at. I, I have dismissed it so many times and that's been what, yeah. I, what I was sort of alluding to before. This has been so useful. I'm not going to do that anymore, especially if I need to purchase a fake car. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, feel really good about it two seconds later. I really feel good about my decision on that day. I reckon if I was purchasing a fake car, I would feel great about it no matter what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. And that's right. But it's just like a fantasy. If I was buying a car, I just want an electric car. Like, I already know what I want, so. But that's a tangent again. Yeah, that's a tangent. Yeah. We'll get there. We, in Australia, we'll get there one day where we all have electric cars. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's coming soon, but no, we'll get there. We'll get We're there. one step closer after the election result. That's right. We, we I have, would say. Australia has shifted to the left, which in terms Slightly. of action on climate change and environmental yeah. action, one would hope is a good thing, but we will see. We will see. Yeah, they've done a little shimmy. A little shimmy shuffle to the left. It's <laughs> a little shimmy, that's right. A little shimmy shuffle. Oh, and I've just seen in my notes that I did want to raise there was some older research mentioned in my paper that showed that patients with brain damage in a particular brain region, and this is the ventromedial prefrontal cortex specifically, if patients had brain damage in this region, they made absolutely terrible decisions and the researchers mm. were able to determine that this was because this area of brain damage meant that they were unable to anticipate how they would feel in the future about a decision. So very interesting because that brain oh. damage did not affect their intelligence or their ability to deliberate and think analytically. So this, again, is signalling that emotion-based stuff must be quite important in making good decisions. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so it's like they're making a decision and are completely unaware of what the consequences of that might be for how they might feel later. Exactly, specifically around their feeling. How will you feel later about this? Very interesting. No regrets. Hashtag no regrets, Yeah, really. That's right. <laughs> interesting. Well, another thing I wanted to say was that, so the gut is also sometimes referred to as the second brain. Yes. That's where the term is coming from, your gut yeah, dealings. Yeah, it is. There is physically in your gut neural connection to the brain. Yeah. It's very interesting. And like the term visceral, right? Yes. Yeah, like a visceral reaction. The viscera is the gut lining. That's right. So it's all connected. Yeah. Great stuff. I hope... Listeners have enjoyed that episode that we promised we would do in the Muck Up mm. Day episode. We followed through. Yes. We really enjoyed it. I we did. Got a I lot really out of enjoyed this. This has been one of my favourite. Yeah. Let us know what you think. But now, of course, it is time for our Inner Square segment mm-hmm. where we reveal what brought out our Inner Square recently. And again, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not, I don't have one. <laughs> I have something I need to talk about. And you guessed it, 
It's the kitchen renovation. Oh, yes. So there was actually an update in the last episode Mm. on Tourette's, but I did not want to talk about it during that episode because I didn't want to subject our lovely guest, Seamus, (laughs) to all of that bullshit. It just, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. Oh, that's funny. I think that was a good call. It just would have broken the flow of, you know, what we were talking about. But I'm happy to break the flow in this episode. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) yes, at the time we recorded the Tourette's episode, there was an update and it was that um, you recall that the random unnamed Swedish furniture (laughs) store had failed to deliver our entire kitchen. Yeah. When it needed to come and all the construction was like, Starting the next and day, our kitchen again. was getting knocked down. Yes, then it happened again. And you so haven't been updating I'm, me on this, I'm, so I don't really know what's been going on. I don't know if people even believe me, but it happened again. Oh, it what? happened a what? third time. Oh, so we had another out. delivery book. So when was that? I don't know if it's clear. The kitchen is done. Yeah. Like most of it eventually came, but yeah. there were several things that were missing and yeah. outstanding things that we've been waiting on. So it's not finished. Yeah. And this is the third time now that they have failed to bring these things to us after... And did you get any response to your letter, your complaint letter? No, no response to the letter. That's really not okay. But anyway... I've just given up. I've really given up. So, I mean, (laughs) if that's their business model, it works. You can't make a complaint because they just ignore it. (laughs) Nothing gets done about it. So it kind of works. So, yes, that had happened when we recorded Tourette's. Mm. Very unhappy. It actually stopped being funny at that point. Mm. <laughs> so in between Tourette's and today, it actually happened. The last remaining items were booked. Yes. Of course, we didn't believe it. Yes. Then that morning, the text message came to say, it's coming, you know, in this delivery window. Oh. And we're just gone. we're just gone, what? <laughs> really? And I went, no, still don't believe it. No. It won't come. Yep. Then the doorbell rang and it's still, I was like, no. Nah. Oh, that's something else. (laughs) That's the post person. (laughs) Then the items were physically placed in our our home and I was still like, nah, it's wrong. It's just not the right thing. As in they were still in their boxes. Yeah, they're wrapped up in boxes. And so then... This will be a mistake. (laughs) My partner was very happy to just, all right, it's finally done. Let's have a beer. Let's just put this behind us. And I was like, no, open it up. I don't think it's right. It's probably not. It's not the right product. It's the right product, but it's the wrong colour. It's the right colour, but it's the wrong size. Um, (laughs) And yeah... It's actually it's it correct. Right? So oh we have goodness. everything. Wow. Yeah, so we have everything. So now we're just, when our lovely builder can yes. come over and finish it off, we'll be done. Yes. So this is like a nine-month kitchen renovation. Oh, far out. <laughs> and it's, this is like a toxic relationship where you now are so used to being treated like crap that when you get treated well, you're really happy, <laughs> even though you're just being treated normally. I was just surprised. <laughs> I'm not happy. I'm just surprised. Okay. Yeah. Disbelief. Is it funny again now? Depends what mood I'm in. What is it, Alina? <laughs> it's quite funny talking about it on the podcast with yeah. you. Would you, flashback to the last episode, are you classifying this as type 2 fun or type 3 fun? Type 3 fun is not fun at all, right? Yes. The whole thing has been type 3 fun. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna still type revisit this and see if it changes. Talking about it with you on the podcast, mm. and I know that there are people out there who are getting some entertainment value out of this. So oh, talk- people ask me about this. When I see people who listen, they're like, how's Alina's kitchen? <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, Still not we did done. tell the whole world about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
still not done, still <laughs> oh, opening drawers with little bits of sticky tape. The whole thing has been type three fun, but okay. talking about it has been type one fun. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Good. Yeah. Um, can I just say on that, my boy, I've explained the types of fun to him and he is saying it all the time. It's so good. And he gets it right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We were at the park and we were playing handball and it was getting really dark. At the time it wasn't fun. But then on the way home, he said, do you know what? I think this is going to become type two fun, mum. And I went, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, such a nerd. He's just like you. I love it. I know. <laughs> he's also on one or two occasions when he's come over has, you know, getting himself a snack and he's opening up the drawers with this sticky tape and he just goes, Auntie Lean, you really need to get handles on these drawers. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I think I said that on one of the previous episodes. I might have. In any case, you know, when a nine-year-old is (laughs) displeased with the progress of one's kitchen, (laughs) you know you're doing something wrong. That's right. Oh, that's good. Well, are we ready for my my time? Because, Eilina, I am introducing a new segment. I haven't cleared this with you, but I am doing it. (laughs) Okay. You have no inner square. No. I would like to introduce a new segment called What Brought Out My Inner Dumbass. Are you cool with oh. this? <laughs> oh. Okay. Because like, I can't has... be angry since I hijacked my inner square for something. So That's go right. ahead. Look, something has. Tell us in how a, dumb you are. <laughs> in a very big way, brought out my inner dumbass. Okay. As you know, and many listeners will know, we've had a La Nina year in Brisbane and we have just had copious amounts of rain and flooding. It's been awful. Yeah, we should just plug our La Nina episode. Episode something, I'll find out. Continue, It's just been, you know, there's been sometimes one to two weeks of constant rain and grey skies and this is causing me some grief because it's really hard to dry your clothes over and above all the devastation caused. High-income country problems, but, yeah, it is frustrating. And just the build-up of moisture in the house. I've been struggling with that a lot. It's actually... Mel's had a really great pair of leather knee-high boots. Yes. And she's taken them out recently and they've got white mould on them. Yeah, I've lost a pair of shoes. I've lost various things, I know. One to two days of this, you deal with it. But when it's going weeks and weeks, months and months, it's become very frustrating. So I decided, as you know, to shell out and buy a clothes dryer. Now, look, these are not... Yes. The most energy efficient appliances. I really no. don't really want one. No. Um, but I just you couldn't hypocrite. stay on top of it. <laughs> so, um, and yes, as someone who's trying to reduce their carbon and waste footprint, not ideal. So, of course, no. I went and did that. some deliberative decision making, Alina, and I went and did a lot of research around, you know, the energy efficiency of these devices. And can I find something a bit better? And I did. I found there is a newer type called a heat pump dryer. Now, these are a lot more expensive to buy. The initial outlay is high, but they are cheaper in the long run to use. Okay. Uh, Although I won't be a heavy user. I'm not sure if the cost benefit will really work out in my case. But anyway, I was very happy to shell out. Are you a heavy user when you consider the fact that I don't want to buy a dryer for myself, (laughs) so I now come over and use yours whenever I need to? (laughs) Yeah, no, I still, I don't think I am because heavy users would use it Every load. I'm never going to be like that. I'm just using it oh, when no, I have no choice. That's just crazy. Yeah, it's just dumb. But anyway, that's another tangent. But, oh, yeah, I was very happy to shell out for the more energy-efficient appliance because it's better for the planet. And these heat pump dryers use around one-third of the energy of the older style, what's called vented dryers. So this is a pretty big difference. Now, a vented dryer, it vents out the hot air along with the moisture of the load, right? 
So if you have one of those yes. going in a room, the room can get, you know, a little bit of condensation happening. Yeah. Um, but these heat pump dryers don't do that. They don't expel the air. It keeps circulating within the system, which means you maintain a lot of the heat energy within the system, right? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's cool. Um, so you're not constantly losing this this energy. And they are specifically recommended if you have a dryer and you're wanting it to be inside. You know how some people might have a dryer inside a cupboard or a hallway or something? Oh, yeah. And you're not wa- really wanting that area to get all moist. So these are no. recommended in those situations. So I've been using this for, you know, every load over some of these very wet weeks. And I haven't told you about this, Alina, but this is when I'm going to now start departing into... In a dumbass territory, okay? Oh, there, yeah, okay. There was everything I just talked about was very much in a square. <laughs> okay, so you're just doing like a hybrid square dumbass <laughs> segment. Okay. I like it. Okay, so on the third or fourth usage of this, it would turn on but then turn itself off after 10 minutes and it would have this error saying full. And I was like, mm-hmm. WTF, what, what is wrong? Of course it's full. It's full of clothes. What, what is going on? So then I would turn it back on and it would go again for 10 minutes and then turn off and say full. And I was going, what? So, of course, I then reading the instructions, what does full mean? There was nothing in the instructions on what that particular message meant. And I thought Is maybe it too I've, maybe, full? Well, that's what I thought. Maybe I put too many clothes in. So I took half out, chucked it back on. Same thing happened again. I took mm-hmm. more clothes out, put it on again. Same thing happened again. It just kept doing this. Oh, I think I might know what it is, but go on. Well, this is interesting because at this point I still had no idea. Um, (laughs) And there was one day, I'm going to just divulge this, that I was so busy. I was working from home and I was so busy, but I also had to get this load of washing done. So I put my, I went down into my garage with my laptop and sat there working, getting up and turning it back on every 10 minutes because I didn't have time (laughs) to call anyone. (laughs) And I didn't even have time to Google. So anyway, that night, I know, that night I did try Googling to go like, what does this full error mean? And all I could find was it said, if you're finding that moisture is collecting, and I should say that moisture was dropping down the side of it. It was Mm. was very bizarre. Yes. Okay. Still, I've got no idea. Um, (laughs) Make sure you clean the lint filters. And I'm like, lint filters, plural? Oh, I only knew about one lint filter. So I've then gone, found the second lint filter, cleaned that. Okay, now I've got it sorted, right? Put it back on. Oh, no, 10 minutes later, same thing happens again. What is going on? There's something else, (laughs) Janine. Okay, so, yeah, this crap just kept happening. So then I thought, maybe there's another filter. I don't know. Maybe there's a third filter. So I just start scouring over the whole device. And I realise, Alina, there is this little kind of like a handle at the top. Yeah. And initially I just thought this was just part of the cool design of the thing. To make it easier to carry and move around. Well, I don't know. I just I hadn't even noticed it. But then I put my hand in and I pulled it. And this enormous drawer was- came out. <laughs> Yes, full of water. Water. (laughs) Oh, you absolute dumbass. Well, yeah, that moisture had to go somewhere, didn't it? Exactly. So then I was like, you dumbass. Of course, this whole point of this device is that the moisture isn't being vented out. So where is it going? It's going somewhere. It's not um, just magic. It oh doesn't man. just disappear. I honestly hadn't even thought about it, clearly. so I feel like the fact that I knew where this was going only <laughs> reinforces this as a dumbass segment. I know. I know. 
So yeah, I emptied this and mega I didn't load of water. I know about these dryers, right? I, know. I just this thought, is the point. okay, this I'm is gonna me guess. going afterwards. How can it be so dumb? Anyway, I emptied this <laughs> mega load of water. It was you like have a two liters. It was like two liters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the funny part is that, as you've mentioned, you've been using my dryer quite a lot, but I've been like, I'm saving this. I'm going to tell you this on the podcast. So I've been emptying that after your loads without telling you that I'm doing it. Of course. Yeah. I imagine you don't have to empty it after every load or do you? It fills up halfway after every load. Right. Yeah, it does. So wow. that is me being an absolute dumbass. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> I do not have a PhD in heat pump dryers. <laughs> <laughs> what does the water look like in the drawer? Is it just clear or is yeah. it cloudy yeah, yeah, you or can what? just use it to water your garden, which is what I did, of course. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's amazing how much water comes out of those clothes, honestly. So next time you come round, I'll give you a little demonstration. Hopefully that's not a segment that we end up continuing with too often because that's probably not a good endorsement of our intelligence. I don't know, Alina. I'm pretty sure there's going to be other times when you or I are dumbasses and I think we should share it. Yeah, I'll give it some thought. I'll give it some thought. (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Details of the studies we've discussed and everything else we have mentioned will be up on our website. You can follow us on social media and if you like listening to Sister Dr Squared, feel free to buy us a coffee via our Ko-fi page. The link for this is on our Support Us page of our website. Shout out to Bruno. Listeners may remember Bruno, my colleague who discovered that first true millipede. Bruno is sending us both monthly coffees through Kofi. So I just wanted to say thanks to Bruno because we really appreciate it. Extremely generous. Thank you, Bruno. Because I saw he had, I got an alert that he had paid for a coffee and I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then a month later, it just automatically happened again. And then I realized I didn't even know you could do that, but he has set it up a monthly and I just love it. Thank you, Bruno. And we also did want to ask if you are enjoying listening to Sister Dr Squared, please rate us and write a review in your podcast platform because this really helps more people find out about us and we really would love to find all the squares out there. And remember to don't dismiss your gut. Yeah. And if your dry art is saying that it's full, even though just rationally you don't see, you don't think it's full, it's not too full of clothes. <laughs> just go with your gut that there's something else. Something, something is else very you wrong. might need to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Janine, for the new segment. Loved it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bye, Alina. Everyone. Thanks, everyone.